Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for joining us as we continue our series on the book of Judges. Uh, for the last four weeks, we have introduced this book to you and we're going to review just a little bit and then we're going to go through some of these judges and how they picture the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Uh, each one of these judges have a powerful message to us, and I think uh, you've probably heard, never heard anyone teach the New Covenant from the book of Judges, but that's what I'm going to do because I think everything in the Old Testament is really pointing forward. If it is the shadow, it is pointing forward to something that's in the light and I think I love Old Testament types and shadows because they literally teach us a language of how to say some things that help us picture it in picture form. Let me say before I do that that uh, we are coming into the fall season and uh, uh, we will probably before long be renegotiating our uh, television contracts. So please let me know where you're watching from. Uh, if you would uh, just, we won't take you and try to solicit a bunch of stuff to you by doing this, but if you just go to uh, the uh, info at lynnhiles.com and just drop us a, uh, a note or a, uh, you know, an email letting us know where you're watching from so that we can make uh, some educated decisions as to what networks we want to work with as we decide uh, to move forward with our contracts for next year. We really do need to hear from you. If you can and you'd like to include an offering, we deeply appreciate that. Or you can write to me and tell me where you're where you're listening from because it's possible that even if we change networks, you would still have them. If you're listening to us on cable or you're listening to us on DISH or your DirecTV or whatever, please let us know where you're listening from so we know how to make some I think, good stewardship decisions as to the networks that we will be uh, sharing our message on. So please do that today. Uh, let me say also that if you have missed any of our programs, and even if we change networks and we're not on yours, we always, always upload our programs to YouTube and uh, YouTube uh, will have them on demand. If you'd like to watch them, the easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website that's right there on the screen. In the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to our YouTube channel, and I encourage you to sign up or, you know, to subscribe to that. If you subscribe to it, you will get an email letting you know when we upload a new program, and we do that on a weekly basis. And you can watch them, share them in your Wednesday night prayer meetings, your home groups, whatever. And uh, they are great tools to study the Word of God with. And so I think you'd be blessed by doing that. There's also a podcast there and a RSS feed for Android so that you can get the Word in so many different ways. And we encourage you even to take the YouTube uh, segments and share them on your social media. We have no problem with that. We want you to help us get the word out. And uh, even uh, the apps that we uh, that are on, like, for instance, Roku, will have the apps to the television networks that we are on as well. If you are no longer a cable subscriber or a dish subscriber or whatever, uh, you can get them through the apps by simply downloading them on your uh, 
on your uh, device and watching us live that way. Okay, let's get into the Word again. We started sharing from the book of Judges, and I'm going to go back just for sake of uh, review and uh, read the first few verses. <clears throat> I told you before that every book of the Bible, the key to it is somewhere near the door. It's right at the very beginning. And we shared how that the book of Joshua talks about, Now Moses, my servant, is dead. And he admonishes Joshua to arise and take the people into the promised land. So the whole theme of the book of Joshua is a transition from Moses to Joshua. And what we shared with you in prior segments is that Joshua is the Hebrew name Jesus. So it's really a powerful teaching tool to be able to show you what it takes to move from law, Old Covenant, to grace, Jesus. For Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came through Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus Christ, the Hebrew name again, Joshua is Jesus. So that's really showing you some powerful stuff in type and shadow and picture form because Moses brought you out with a rod, but Jesus brings us in with a mercy seat. One of them, I heard someone in my international conference this week say that, you know, that manna was desert diet. And God is shifting us from desert diet to promised land provision. Not from living from miracle to miracle or just enough to get by today, but more than enough. And so, you know, the land of Canaan represents us living in the finished work of Jesus Christ and eating from the old corn. What's amazing to me is when the manna ceased, it was because God was about to change their diet to eat the corn of the land and the fruit of the land of Egypt. So let me encourage someone who's fretting, saying God is not acting like He's supposed to, and we're not getting uh, the miracle of day we used to get, and we don't something start stuff stuff is not happening like it used to. Perhaps God is moving us from desert diet to promised land provision. And sometimes God has to dry up one realm in order to make us willing in the day of His power to move into the next dimension. But the book of Judges is what we're putting the emphasis on, and it opens up in chapter number 1 of the book of Judges by saying, now after the death of Yeshua, or Joshua, after the death of Joshua. Once again, the word Joshua here is the Hebrew name Jesus. So uh, what the book of Judges is about is to me powerful pictures of what happens after the death of Jesus. Now in the New Testament, after the death of Jesus, He delivers to 12 apostles the responsibility, and He tells them, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we see uh, in the book of Judges, there are 12 judges that he hands uh, the responsibility to, to, uh, to execute the judgment uh, that's written upon this nation. Now let me say this to you. We, we shared with you, and I'm going to probably reiterate this quite a bit. But Psalm 149 said, Sing unto the Lord a new song, and let His praise in the congregation. He goes on to talk about, Let the high praises of God be in our mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. And I will probably talk about that Scripture over and over throughout this series. But the last verse of Psalm 149 says, 
that he has given authority, and not only authority, but the honor to all saints, the Scripture says, to execute the judgment written. This honor have all of his saints. Psalm 149, the last few verses declare that. And when I started thinking about the book of Judges and executing the judgment written, I'm not coming at it from a perspective of calling down fire from heaven or trying to destroy some city somewhere. As a matter of fact, Jesus, right after the encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus, speak to him concerning his decease, which by the way, the Greek word for decease there is the Greek word exodus. So here's the leader of the first exodus with Moses and Elijah speaking of the law and the prophets. And they're talking to Jesus concerning his decease. Another exodus was afoot. But this time he was leading them out of the bondage of an old covenant paradigm because under the law you're slaves and servants. But in the new covenant you're sons and you're heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. So when he uh, is having that encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration, he has with him Peter, James, and John. They, and Peter uh, says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Really, Peter is alluding to the whole concept or idea of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he said, Let's, it's good for us to be here. This has got to have something to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's build here three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah. I think that is the error of our day as well, is that we're trying to build a tabernacle for Jesus plus Moses, plus Elijah. In other words, we want to make this Jesus plus the law and the prophets. But the Father interrupted that thinking, and He says to Peter, He says, or Jesus turns around, or, or, or the Father says to Peter, James, and John, He says, this is my son. Hear him. In other words, it's not about Moses and Elijah. It is about them speaking to the son who is now the heir. And the father stops that whole thought process and says, This is my son. Hear him. In the new covenant, God speaks to us. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In, through, and by, son. Everything God has to say to us, he says it through the person of his son, the only true full representation of God the Father. He is the lens by which all things must be interpreted. All of the Old Testament pointed to Christ, but now the fulfillment of the shadow is here in Christ, and when we see Him, we have seen the Father. And so after they leave the Mount of Transfiguration, they set their face, I believe it is, as if they would go to Jerusalem. They pass by a city, and the people of that city do not receive Jesus. And so uh, Peter, of course, who is always, you know, the first one to speak, he says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Watch this, like Elijah did. He's using an old covenant precedence to, to do what he thinks Jesus wants him to do, and that's to call down fire from heaven. And Jesus turns around and rebukes him and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. 
For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so what he's rebuking Peter for is not having a demonic spirit. When he says, you don't know what spirit you're of, he's rebuking Peter for operating in an old covenant spirit. And so I want to be very clear when I'm talking about executing the judgment written that I'm not talking about some preacher mad at his church and calling down fire from heaven because if we had the power we thought we have supposed to have over the years, there's been some preacher somewhere mad at every city and we would have devastation everywhere of calling down fire from heaven. But when I think about judgment, I think about it now from a new covenant perspective is that it's not just what the judgment is against, it's what the judgment is in favor of. And so years ago as a preacher, when I was preaching this from a very legalistic uh, paradigm, I would say things like, uh, boy, we, you know, bless God, we're going we're gonna to execute the judgment and we're going to call down fire. We're going to bring the judgment of God. I and, mean, you know, we preach the judgment of God and the fire and all the coming down, destroying people. And, and my attorney came to me. And he said to me, Lynn, judgment is not always a bad thing. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you are ever the plaintiff in a case, and the judge comes to the end of that case and says, and the judgment is in favor of the plaintiff, and you're the plaintiff, that's a good thing. That means you are going to execute the judgment that was written. In other words, it, the judgment was in your favor. Listen, I got some good news for somebody this morning. There is a judgment that is in favor of you and I as believers. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I understand that the word men is in italics there, and I do believe it includes all men, but it's really said he drew all judgment into himself. So he took what you had coming so that you could get what he has coming. And so then the, the Gospel of John says that the three dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit is first of all to convince the world of sin because they don't believe. The main sin of the world is unbelief. But secondly, he, the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. He said, because I go to the Father. And I believe that the conviction of righteousness in the life of the believer, as, as believers, he's not bringing a conviction. He's not convincing or convicting me that I'm a sinner any longer or an unbeliever. As a believer, now the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince and convict me of righteousness. So the conviction of righteousness, in other words, right believing will produce right living, and the conviction of righteousness, we, we've been convicted of sin, but we've never moved beyond the first dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit. So we keep on bringing people back to the altars every week, and we never build them up into a faith where they can believe that they are the righteousness of God, not on the basis of what they've done, but on the basis of what He's done, and that old covenant righteousness was based on your performance, but new covenant righteousness, according to the book of Romans, is a gift. It's something you did not earn because of the abundance of grace. 
And the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And if you want to pray for conviction, pray that God convicts you of your righteousness because you get convicted that you're righteous, you'll start acting like you're righteous. You start believing I'm new creation and you'll start to act like a new creation. You start believing I'm holy and you'll start acting like you're holy. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. In other words, if I stop believing that I am who God says I am, it's really almost the sin uh, uh, that like Adam had in the garden when God says, listen, man, you know, I've created you in my image and in my likeness, and I gave you dominion. The Lord God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. One of the speakers I had at my international conference this week said that the word Hebrew there, the word uh, blessed means he stooped down and adored. I love that. And the Lord God stooped down and adored you and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But the serpent comes to him quoting scripture or quoting at least something. He said, hath God, uh, 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 he said, uh, hath God said, you will not surely die. And so he starts telling him, if you get, would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can make yourself like God. And what he got Adam to do was not believe what God said about him in the beginning, and that was that he was created in the image and the likeness of God, and that it, being created in the image and likeness of God, he didn't have to do anything to be like God. He should have simply said to the devil, I'm already like God, get out of my face. But he believed the lie and the sin of unbelief caused him to lose his position. His lack of understanding of how God felt about him alienated him from the life of God and he ran from God rather than run to God. Let me encourage you that even when you're broken, even when you're messed up, don't run from him, run to him because there's something that happens when we crawl back up in his lap and we begin to believe what God said is true about us. Now, I believe that the third dimension then of the work of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel is he will not, he, first of all, he convicts the world of sin. Secondly, he convicts us of righteousness. And the thirdly, he said he convicts the world of judgment because I go to the Father. In other words, he convinces us. I'm talking to believers that as believers, my judgment is not in my future. My judgment is in my past. And let me tell you that even in these circumstances of judgment, what I'm thinking about in the book of Judges is these judges all do something in the visible realm that's a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. In other words, for instance, Gideon threshes wheat, hides it under the winepress. Wheat speaks of the death of Christ, except a corn of wheat fall on the earth and die and abides alone, and the, and the wine press speaks to me of the wine, the bread and the wine. That's new covenant communion stuff there. And so God is trying to show us through these types and shadows that executing the judgment written doesn't mean we call down fire from heaven. It simply means we start to execute what was ours that was ruled on, if you will, the judgment was in our favor, said another way. Uh, my attorney said to me, uh, do you know what it means, Lynn, that when the judge says that the judgment is in favor of the plaintiff? I said, yes, sir, it means I won, and that's good news. He said, yes, it is. He said, but you know what else it means? I said, no. He said, absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing if you don't execute the judgment written. 
In other words, if you don't cash the check or you don't, if you want a lawsuit, if you don't execute that verdict, then you don't get anything. What was exacted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us as believers is we've been redeemed from sin, from sickness, from poverty, from death. But if we don't execute that, see, that can all be ours in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not getting very far. Maybe this is a lot of review here today. But I feel like these things are important. The gospel is both objective and subjective. Let me make that clear. It is both the way of grace and the walk of faith. I probably should draw a chart up on this sometime. The way of grace is the objective side of the gospel. It is what God did in Christ without any help from you. It is the sovereign work of God to redeem us from sin, from sickness, from poverty, and from death. And He has already done that in the finished work of Calvary. He's reconciled. He's redeemed. He's the Savior of all men to be testified of in due season. Romans 5 declares He reconciled us by the death of His Son even while we were enemies. So He's reconciled every single man, man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived on the planet. That's the objective side of the gospel. But the subjective side is the what I call the way of faith. It's what I mix by faith. When I believe that what He's done in the work of the cross is finished and appropriate by faith what He's exacted by grace, it becomes the dynamic duo and manifest in my life because Romans 5 goes on to say, not only were you reconciled by His death, but you are saved by His life. And that's an ongoing reality. I'll say it like this. It makes it simple. At the work of the cross, the Scripture says, by whose stripes you were healed. He's not going to heal you. He's already healed you. That's the finished work. That's the way of grace. That's the objective side of the gospel. Yeah, but Dr. Howes, my foot hurts. Well, that's the subjective side. That's where you take by faith what He accomplished by grace, and you say, I'm believing God that by His stripes I was healed, and I begin to declare that and speak that over my body. When I begin to understand that my sins were forgiven, and I appropriate that by faith, in other words, I could say it like this from the patterns of the Old Testament, even the sacrifices. There was a lamb for every house, And there was a lamb, there was sacrifices that were given for the entire nation of Israel. But there were also moments where as individuals, we come and lay our hand on the head of that lamb and we confessed our sins and that lamb carried our sin away. In other words, we appropriate by faith what God has graciously given us by grace. That's why it's important to preach the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So these judges were all pictures of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and uh, they uh, were executing things that uh, every one of them did something in the visible realm that was a, a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus. Now you go down through here and you realize you start to realize there were some things that the children of Israel were willing to live with. It says that they didn't drive out this nation, and they didn't drive out that nation, and uh, they took tribute from them, and they took tax from them. And so, you know, at times I'm thinking to myself, there's some things that I wonder. I preached the other night, and I said, what are you willing to live with? Or, what are you willing to live with? 
In other words, there are some things that we need to appropriate by faith and overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, not so much by our human strength and effort, but by believing what God did by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we begin to see God drive out these enemies that are possessing the land ahead of us. But they were willing to live with some of these uh, people. And, and you know, the whole first chapter is about all what all they were willing to live with. But he tells them in verse 2 of Judges chapter 2, he said, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You will tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. I am afraid there's a whole lot of stuff that we have that are false concepts about God that need to be torn down. They're idolatries. They're images. I, in the, they are images. See, the word imagination comes from the idea of an image. And while we may not have statues, uh, you know, uh, that we bow down to in front of them, we have principalities or we have concepts and mindsets and ideas that we give into that sometimes have been handed down. You know, I think about where people talk about generational curses. I believe we've been redeemed from generational curses. I believe we've been redeemed from every curse. But I do believe there are patterns and ways of thinking. When I think about principalities, I don't just think about demonic spirits. I think about like there's certain uh, patterns and things that are handed down in families that can be broken simply by shifting how we think and pulling down uh, imaginations and stuff that's in the chambers of our imagery. But what happened, it says that, the, uh, that, that, that God allowed, he said, what happens is because you won't drive this stuff out, they are going to be thorns in your side. And, and they're going to be there to test you, but God raised up judges. To me, that speaks of those of us who are preaching the gospel to pull down these strongholds of imagination. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and pulling down all of these uh, idolatrous ideas and bowing down to the bales and even a lot of new age stuff that's creeping into our theology, a lot of liberalism that's kind of trying to come even into the grace message. And I, I really think there are some things that God wants to shift and say, listen, man, I want you to drive out not people, but drive out these thought processes. And the best way to do that is to get in the word for you yourself. And I can tell you that most of our arguments and uh, would be cured by simply reading the next verse after the one somebody is quoting out of context, because that's what usually happens. But in verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. But verse 10 says, When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done in Israel. Then the children of Israel decided the Lord and served the Baals. And so he said, uh, verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying not the commandments of the Lord, which they did so. And I think, you know, he, uh, and he tells them then later, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, where they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them or not. Uh, you know, so uh, it, it is imperative that we drive these things out. 
We are out of time today. Tune in again next week for a continued part of this message. If you'd like to sow into our ministry, the easy way to do it is go to the website right there. There's a place where you can give your, through credit card or PayPal. Uh, portal is there. You can also send a check or a money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number that's on the screen. But do it today. We need your help. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When He uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.